Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Um, truths that I mind out in the Word of God. It's all really basic Bible, but it's awesome. I've really enjoyed putting this lesson together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are in our lives and what you're doing in our midst. God, we pray that tonight you and you alone would get glory. That as we delve into your word, God, that you would open it up to us, that you would release it to us in a real way so that we can hear and obey, God. Thank you that you are the one and only true promise keeper. And so tonight, as we study that out, just open your word to us in a rich way. In Jesus' name, amen. So once again, we're doing a series of life lessons and um, I can tell you, um, I've learned a lot of lessons over the years of serving God. Um, some of them the hard way, and probably most of them the hard way. Um, so it's difficult when you're doing one lesson and you have to choose one topic. But this is something that has been stirring in me for quite a while about the faithfulness of God. And I know Pastor John has recently done something on that, but this is a little bit different approach. And so, um, you know, once upon a time, promises were as good as a handshake. And many of us in this room are old enough to remember those days where when you shook a hand and you made an agreement, that was your bond. Your word was your bond. <laughs> Today, we um, have to have ironclad contracts to cover ironclad contracts that sometimes need $1,000 lawyers to look for holes in the ironclad contracts. Um, so our society is not real good about keeping promises. When we were kids, remember pinky promise? Yeah, we pi I pinky swear, I pinky swear. And then if you were really, really serious, you said, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, which is quite disgusting if you think about it. But we were serious about when we were making a promise, we were serious. And nowadays it's almost like a game to see how many people you can defraud and break your promises and get away with it. I think there was a, um, a politician many years ago that said um, ethics is if you can't be found guilty, then it's ethical. It's like, no, it's ethical if you do the right thing. It doesn't matter whether you're charged or um, go to court or if you're found guilty. Ethical is doing right, but he said, nope, as long as you don't get caught. And he said, it's not even about being caught. It's about getting away with it, not, not getting charged with it. <clears throat> so I thought about it, and I thought, you know, in this society, and I know that there have been many societies where that was the case, but it just, again, it seems like such almost a thrill ride to um, see if you can get away with something in our society. But God, we can count on him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord, I change not. Those are promises from God that we can hang on to. And no matter what the world throws our way, we know that God is a promise keeper. And he doesn't have to do ironclad contracts. Think about what God did for us to show his desire to... Um, to just show us who he is. Think about what he did for us. He came as an unborn child into this world 
born as a vulnerable infant, walked the earth, grew up under the submission of earthly parents, grew up, started his ministry, and then allowed himself to be brutally beaten and crucified for us. Now, I think God is serious about how much he loves us and how much he means to keep his promises. So in the book, um, All the Promises of the Bible, author Herbert Lockyer found 7,147 promises from God to man. I have not taken the time to verify that information, but regardless, there are a lot of promises in the Word of God, and I can tell you tonight, we are not going to cover them all. It's not going to happen. But <clears throat> I did pick out, I believe, seven stories, and they are tried and true stories, and many of you may know the stories really well, but they are worth revisiting because they are powerful demonstrations of the faithfulness of God. So the first one I chose was Abraham and Sarah, and the promise that God made to him, and you can read the story in Genesis 15 through 21, God made the promise to him that he would make him a father of many nations. He basically said that his descendants would number like the stars in the sky and the sands on, on the shore, the grains of sand. And so that's a staggering thing. That's a lot. And so Abraham and Sarah were very advanced in years. And so in the natural, it didn't make a lot of sense that they were going to bear children. And so, but God made the promise. And so they were hanging on to it. But, but each of these stories, we know the end of the story, okay? We've read it, we know it. But when they're living their story, they don't know the end. And so that's what we have to hang on to. When we're walking our journey, when we're living our story, we have to remember God knows the end. And his love for us promises us that it's always good. And so we live in a fallen world. Unfortunately, this world is affected by sin. And with that comes death, decay, and destruction. So we're living here. We're, we're sojourning here. But we're not staying here. This is for a period of time. Scripture says our life is like a vapor. And it doesn't feel like that when you're going through whatever it is you're going through. When you're dealing with the issues you're dealing with, it doesn't feel so vaporish. It feels very real. But God says, I need you to trust me in the midst of this because I am going to help you. I have a plan for you. That's my promise. So Abraham and Sarah are advancing in years. And finally, Sarah says, okay. I'm done waiting. Bad move. <laughs> really bad move. And she gives her slave girl to Abraham and says, look, let her have a, a child for us. Let, let her have it. So can you blame the guy? Okay, sure. So he sleeps with Hagar, and she births Ishmael. Well, from day one, it becomes an issue because Hagar begins to deride Sarah um, it, there's conflict. It's just bad. Read the story. It's bad. And so <clears throat> when we read the end of the story, they got their promised son. But they messed up by trying to fix the thing that they thought God wasn't doing. We have to be careful of that and remember that God is a promise keeper. So remember the story of Abraham having to sacrifice Isaac. Once again, as he's walking that out, 
He does not know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. We know the provision. We know that right before he takes his son's life, God stops him and provides a sacrifice. But he didn't know that when he's headed up that mountain to make the sacrifice. And if he's anything like us, and Isaac was human, he was not a perfect man. Uh, I'm sorry, Abraham. And even Isaac, too, in this story, that's the son. You think about the turmoil that must have been going on in his heart and his mind as he is literally walking his child up a mountain to be sacrificed. That's what he knows is happening. But Isaac was not sacrificed, and he and his wife had children, Jacob and Esau, the twins. And Jacob rose up and was renamed Israel, and then he and his wives gave birth to 12 children, the 12 tribes of Israel. What an incredible promise. And from there, um, it, it, it just grew. It grew and grew and grew. And so Abraham saw the promise of God, but he had to trust the goodness of God in the midst of the journey, as we do too. The other story, another story I chose was Joseph. And this is an incredible story. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. So Joseph is a young man, and he probably has a little bit of a youthful arrogance to him. You know, he's kind of daddy's favorite, and daddy made him this beautiful coat, and um, and then he gets these dreams that these bushels of wheat are bowing down to him, and the sun, the moon, and the stars are bowing to him. So he shares with his brothers and his dad, hey, this is what this is what's going to happen. And they're all like, you know, the dad's like, really, you think that? And so dad pondered it. Brothers were ticked. It's like this little snot thinks that he is going to rule over us and we're going to bow down to him. I don't think so. And so they begin to plot. Joseph shows up and, you know, again, if you read into the story, it looks like maybe Joseph is a little bit of a spy for his dad. Dad says, go see what your brothers are up to. And the brother's like, Man, oh man, this kid keeps showing up, spying on us. I'm going to fix him. I'll show him what happens to spies. And they decide they're going to kill him. Well, the one brother says, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's. So they say, all right, we'll put him in this well. And he says, all right. And so the brother who saved him said, I'm going to go back in his mind. I'm going to go back and get him. But the other brothers in the meantime came up with a better plot and got some money for Joseph, sold him into slavery, and sent him on his merry way, thinking, ha, we are done now with little snotty Joseph. So Joseph ends up in a home. The man's name was Potiphar. He was a palace official. So it was a wealthy home, and he begins to get favor. He's a godly man. He's very intelligent, and he has the favor of God on him. And so through this story, he rises up. He becomes second only to Potiphar in that home. Potiphar makes him ruler of everything. And he can have anything except Potiphar's wife. But she was having none of that because she liked Joseph, and she wanted to be with Joseph. And he stayed righteous, and his payment for that was going to prison because she falsely accused him, and he goes to prison. So the time span of this is about 13 years from the time he gets to Egypt to the time that he is out of prison. About three of those years are in prison. And while he's in there, he rises up, he gets favor. (laughs) 
how favored can you be in an ancient Egyptian prison? But he rises up, um, and, he, and he's doing okay. And these two guys from the king, from Pharaoh, have these dreams, and they're like, I don't know what this means. Joseph interprets the dreams. One guy is executed, which Joseph said would happen. The other one was restored into the palace. And so Joseph says to him, please don't forget me. Let the king know, let the officials know about me that I'm here. Right. So he forgets him. And again, for whatever period of time it was between that time, um, he's just languishing in the prison. So then the king has a dream, a couple of dreams, and he says, can anybody interpret this? And they're all like, we don't know what that means. And then the, I believe it was the baker. Anyway, I don't remember exactly. But he says, um, oh, hey, there's this guy I forgot about. Oh, king, let me tell you about this guy that interpreted a dream. And so, okay. So they get Joseph out. He interprets the king's dreams, and it saves Egypt and the surrounding lands because God said you're going to have seven years of plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. And so Joseph was able to prepare for that. He listened to the voice of God. Pharaoh put him in charge because he interpreted the dream. He listens to God, hears the voice of God, comes up with a plan, and he's able to save countless thousands of people from starving to death. Well, what he didn't know, and you think about this, the story of Joseph, is he's in Potiphar's household, and then he's in prison, all because someone, several someones, that were supposed to love him, betrayed him. Can you imagine the pain that he was feeling all those years, thinking, there is no end in sight to this, to my bondage, and it's all because my brothers decided to be mean. That must have been deeply painful to him. But what happens is, we know the story, his brothers end up coming to Egypt because there's no food, and they have to get food, and they hear there's food in Egypt. And they show up, and of course, they don't recognize Joseph. He's become very Egyptianized, so they don't recognize him, but he knows them. And he toyed with them a bit, and I can't say that I blame him, but ultimately, he was gracious, and God restored relationship, and he could see the hand of God in what happened. Now, I would say to you th that many of these stories, that the plan that happened was not the plan that they had in their minds. It went very different than what they expected. So Moses and the children of Israel, um, they're there in the land of Goshen. Um, when Joseph's family and other um, Israelites came to Egypt, the Pharaoh said, let's put them in the land of Goshen, which was kind of outside of the city area, because Egyptians hate shepherds. And so they were very despised as a people anyway. Well, then that Pharaoh dies and time goes on and a Pharaoh raises up that doesn't, he doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't necessarily know the story. And he's watching the children of Israel prosper and grow. And he's very angry about that and threatened by it. So he says, you know what? You midwives, when those Jewish women give birth, I want you to kill the boys. Well, they want to honor God. They don't know what to do, so they don't do it. 
And the Pharaoh says, hey, 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 how come you're not killing these baby boys? And they say, oh, king, Jewish women are not like Egyptian women. They're very strong. They birth that baby, and they're up and working again before we can even get there. And so the Pharaoh says, all right. Then he sends his guards, and he says, find the baby boys and throw them in the Nile River. So the people of God are living in horrendous circumstances. They are enslaved, they're being treated horribly, and now their babies are being murdered. So God hears their cry, and he raises up a man named Moses. So Moses has a falling out. He kills an Egyptian. He, somebody says, hey, I saw you do that. He runs for his life, and he's in the backside of the desert where he meets um, Zipporah, his wife, and that family, and he marries her, and he's there for a long time, and then all of a sudden, he gets the burning bush. He says, I want you to deliver my people, and he's like, whoa, wait a minute. Not in the plan, God, and God says, yes, it is. It's in my plan, and I will help you, and God does a great thing to help Moses. He has his brother with him. He doesn't fault Moses for being frightened. He helps him, that's our God. That's our promise-keeping God. And so even though it wasn't in Moses' plan, it was in God's plan. And he said, this is what I want to do. This is the work that I want to do, and I want to use you to do it. And the children of Israel are delivered um, because they had lived in bondage for over 400 years. And so now um, God hears their cries, and he brings a deliverer, the promise-keeper. David. David was anointed king. Um, as a young man, the prophet Samuel, God told him to go to Jesse's home. That was David's dad. And when Samuel gets there, he sees the oldest son and he says, whoa, that dude is kingly. Takes one look at him and decides that dude's kingly. That's him. And God says, no, that's not him. <laughs> then he runs down the list of all the sons and then there are no more. And he looks at Jesse and he goes, do you have any other sons? And he goes, yeah, I got this kid, takes care of the sheep. I mean, you know, he's kind of ruddy, he's kind of the runt, but, and Samuel says, fetch him, bring him here. And he anoints him king. The only problem is, Saul was still king, and he wasn't letting go very easily. And so he hunted David down for almost 15 years. Okay, now think about how long 15 years is. He was anointed king. Samuel anointed him. The prophet said, you're the king. But he spent 15 years hiding out in caves, running for his life. And there's even one time where he's in an enemy territory and he starts acting like a madman, drooling all over himself and acting out of his mind in order to prevent from getting cap uh, captured. So think about what that must have been like for 15 years. His men, okay, his men was a motley crew. Okay, this was, these were not the cream of the crop soldiers. They were a motley crew. And so he's traveling with this vagabond group of men running for his life for 15 years. He must have been thinking during that time, Lord, where are you in this? You anointed me king. Where are you? Have you ever thought that? I've shared many times the, our journey to adoption. And we had adoption after adoption after adoption fall through for different reasons. Everything from the birth mother changed her mind all the way to the birth mother had an abortion. 
So horrendous stories, miscarriages, splitting up triplets. I mean, it was lots of really painful, difficult stories. And I remember Pastor Eddie Rodriguez was preaching a sermon. And at that point, we had had an adoption fall through, and my heart was broken. And I just told God, I said, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Because you're not keeping your promise. I'm not doing it. I'm done. So Eddie Rodriguez comes, and he starts preaching a sermon called God's Waiting Room. And I have shared this story in other groups. It's like, God's Waiting Room, are you kidding me? I'm sitting here and I have to listen to this and I'm seething inside. I told God, I don't like your waiting room. It smells funny and the magazines are old. I don't like your waiting room. And I'm sitting there arguing with God inside. Of course, I have my great Christian smile pasted on my face. But inside, I am arguing with God. I am wrestling with where I'm at. And finally, almost three quarters of the way through the sermon, I said, okay, Lord, okay. You're a good God. You made me a promise. I trust you. And when I released that, Eddie Rodriguez turned and pointed at Jeff and I and said, God says you've waited long enough. It's being done in heaven even as we speak. And our daughter was born two months later. It was an effortless adoption. And so God is faithful, but the journey can be painful. We have to remember that he's good no matter what it is we're facing, and no matter how difficult it feels, and no matter what's going on. We need to remember that God is faithful. He is the promise keeper. So David gets becomes king. At this point, the kingdom is divided into Judah and Israel. So he becomes king after 15 years of Judah, but he waited another seven years to be king of um, Israel. So even in that, there was a huge wait going on. <clears throat> but God was faithful, and he kept his promise on his timeline. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were renamed, but their Jewish names, their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So God promised to be with them during captivity. Okay, let's analyze that for a minute. We're in captivity. These are young, devout Jewish men that have served God faithfully, and yet they're in captivity because everybody else was in rebellion and not listening to God. And so God says, you are, um, you're worshiping idols, you are doing horrendous things, and if you don't stop, I'm going to let your enemy capture you because I need your attention. And so time goes on, God is patient, and then finally they're exiled into Babylon. So here's these four men, and they are devout, they love God, they're stuck in captivity. So <clears throat> God promises to be with them. Even though they're in captivity, God promises to be with them. Captivity was not really in their plan. But God used them powerfully in captivity as a testimony so they refuse to bow to idols. They refuse. The king at the time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he made a statue of himself. And it was this grandiose thing. And then he said, everybody's going to bow to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, mm-mm, no, not us. We're not doing it. And so they had um, very jealous 
enemies that said, oh, yeah, well, you know it's against the law not to worship that statue. And they said, well, we serve God. We serve the laws of God, not the, the laws of man. And so God's law trumps your law. So they report to the king, and he is murderously furious. So he is railing on them, saying, you better do it. You better. You be and they said, you know what, king? We're not doing it. And he says, okay, then I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And they say, and you know what? You can do that. And our God can deliver us. But if he doesn't, we still won't bow. I love that attitude because, in you know, we always think that everything should be perfect. We should never have any struggles. But really, that's not truth. We live in a world, a fallen world, and we're going to have struggles. And so these men said, I know that God can deliver us, and I know he will. But if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. So you can throw us in the furnace. We are not bowing. So again, think about he, the king has them bound up by um, his strongest soldiers. He has them bound up. So here's these men, and they are um, <clears throat> bound up completely, and these gargantuan men. And then the king says, light that furnace hotter, seven times hotter than what is normal. It was so hot that when the soldiers that were carrying the three men opened it, they burned to death just standing at the door. And they toss the three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes, hey, what is going on? He goes, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they said, yeah, king, three guys. And he goes, and they were bound, right? Yep, they were bound. He goes, I see four guys walking around in there with no bound, no chains. They're completely free, and they're not being touched by the fire. God was walking with them in the fire. He promised to protect them, and he did. But they still got thrown in the furnace, okay? Think about those moments the fear, the anxiety, the like, oh my gosh, we're going to burn to a crisp. And God says, nope, I got you. Even in the midst of the fire. Sometimes we're in the furnace in the midst of the fire, but God is there with us because he is a promise keeper. Then there's Daniel. Daniel is a righteous man. He refuses to bow to the king. He's also a prayer warrior, a very dedicated and he has his enemies that are jealous of him. And so um, he has a decree. Daniel disobeys it, just like the three Hebrew children. He disobeys it. He says, I'm not doing that. That's not godly. I refuse. I'm not bowing down to an idol. I won't do it. I will not worship the king as a god. And the king at this time, Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, I, he loved Daniel. He loved him. But... He had made the decree, and he had to save face. So he had to send Daniel to the lion's den. And so here again, here's a devout man. He's living in captivity, and now he's being told, yeah, we're feeding you to the lions. So can you imagine the, the journey as he's being lifted and thrown into the lion's den? And yet those little docile kitties just laid there and did not mess with God's man. They knew better because God said don't. 
And animals sometimes are better at obeying than we are. And so he survives the night, and the king runs out and says, Daniel, please tell me that your God saved you. And he said, oh, king, he did. And then those that accused Daniel, that tattled on him, got thrown in the lion's den. So there again, a great promise keeper, but he still went into the lion's den with the threat of being ripped to shreds by wild animals. That was not a good moment. But God is a good God, and he keeps his promises. So two more. Esther, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. He promised her you're going to save your people. Okay, sounds wonderful. But Esther is a young, devout, very beautiful Jewish girl, and she wants her life to go a certain way. It was not in the plan to be dragged to the palace and prepared for the king to steal your virginity and then cast you aside with hundreds or thousands of other women. Not in the plan. And so all this time, she is thinking, oh my gosh. You know, she's devout and saving herself for her husband was an important thing to her and it's not happening. And so she's wrecked. This is really rough for her. And this is the journey that she's living. She's being prepared to be violated by an ungodly king. That is not the dream come true. But God says, I have a plan. Trust me in it. I know this is not a good thing right now. I know this is tough, but I have a plan. Trust me in it. And so that's what God does. So um, she is chosen by the king. She's beautiful. He loves her more than the others. And um, she becomes queen. Once again, better than being cast aside, maybe. But again, not really the dream. She didn't want to be the queen to an ungodly ruler. And yet God said, this is, I'm going to use you to save your people. And so in the midst of all of that, if, if anything else could go wrong, this guy in the palace, this palace official, hates the Jews. Nobody knows that Esther's Jewish, but he hates them. And he gets the king to sign a decree that they can be killed on a certain date, that they can be killed and all their stuff taken. So here's Esther and her cousin, her uncle that was raising her, came to her and said, God has chosen you for such a time as this. So she calls a fast. She believes God. She approaches the king, which that alone risked her life. Because coming before the king, if you came before him and he didn't receive you, you're dead. But she took the chance that she went before the king, asked for an audience with him. He granted that, and then she was able to petition for her people. And that's a, it's a wonderful story. I encourage you to just read it. So having her and her people wiped off the face of the earth was not in the plan. But God said, what is in the plan is I'm going to use you to prevent that from happening. Because Haman, the one that hated the Jews, he was going to do that. He was going to get the king to sign that decree. And the Jews were going to be annihilated. So Esther, even though it was not an ideal plan, God used what happened to her, like with Joseph, used what happened to her to bring her to a place that she never, ever would have been, ever in the natural have been. And yet God said, trust me in this process, I've got you. You're going to do great things. And finally, Mary. Um, Mary, you know... <laughs> She gets an angel visit her. This, again, is a devout young Jewish woman. 
Being pregnant out of wedlock was not part of the plan. This was a bad time to be that, in that condition. And basically, she should have been stoned. But Joseph, being a kind-hearted man, see, Mary's dream, she has this wonderful man that she's going to marry. She's so excited, he's so kind, and he's so godly. And she's going to marry this guy. And then all of a sudden, she's pregnant. And so he says, hmm, okay, bad violation, but I don't want you stoned. I love you still, even though you hurt me. I'm going to just put you away quietly, and I'm not. We're, we're going to break the betrothal, and that's going to be it. I'm going to go away and hope that I can recover from this. But the angel of God came to him and said, don't do that. You need to marry Mary because the child within her is of God. And so he had to be. Now think about it. If, a, if you had a vision that said, um, the girl you're about to marry is pregnant, but don't worry about it. It's from God. Uh-huh. Sure it is. I mean, it would not be a real... Um, real easy thing to believe, okay? But Joseph was a devout man, and he trusted God. Even though it felt like Mary violated him, he went forth in faith that God was good and he had a plan, and that Joseph was a part of that plan. And thank God for him, because he walked with Mary, he loved her, he was good to her, and he protected her and the child, Jesus, from the enemy wanting to kill him. And so once again, Joseph is part of the plan too. Wasn't how the plan was supposed to go. But God said, trust me. Trust me in this. I know this isn't what you thought, but trust me in this. He's a promise keeper. So Jesus comes along. She gives birth. And then about 30 years later, she gets to watch him die a horrible death. Not in the plan. And at this point, there's a lot of scripture in the Old Testament that um, talks about the suffering Messiah but the Jewish people by this point had kind of um, conveniently eliminated that in their vocabulary. And it was going to be this grandiose king that was going to come and rescue them at that time from Rome because they were occupied by Rome. And so, again, they allowed their circumstances to kind of tweak their mind a little bit. And they forgot that this Messiah was a suffering Messiah. And he was going to come back as a king, but he was going to suffer. And they didn't like that part. So they kind of, their little uh, Bible buffet, they kind of left that. They said, oh, no, 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 that, that's green and healthy. I don't think I want that. And so they ignored that particular truth because it didn't fit in with their plan. So we have to be careful that we do not lose sight of the plan of God in our lives. And it may not be our plan. It may be different than what we think. But we can trust God that it's good. There may be pain in the, along the way, but we can trust God that it's good. So now what I would like to do is focus on some scriptures and some promises to help build us. I gave you, uh, you or you took, a handout um, uh, full of scriptures. That's for you to take and just read. And I encourage you to build yourself up with these passages, that you will build this up, and then as you go through things in life, you walk in the knowledge that God is good, and you don't lose sight of that, that he is a promise keeper, and he always keeps his word. So in um, Psalm 34, 8, it tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. We have to take refuge because sometimes life doesn't work out so good. So we take refuge in him, and we know 
that we know that we know that he's good. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi in uh, Philippians 4:19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So let's analyze that for just a minute. God who takes care of me, Paul is saying, he's taking care of me. And Paul went through some horrendous things. But he said, God takes care of me. He will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. Think about that. The glorious riches of God. They are unlimited. We do not have to worry about our needs being met. Whatever they are, God is a need-meeting God and a promise keeper. Which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, that's the riches of heaven is what Jesus did for us. And if we never see another thing happen, another good thing happen, we can know that just Jesus dying for us is enough. And, and, and sometimes I have to remind myself of that. When things are coming at me or I'm dealing with issues, I have to say, you know what? You are so blessed. And then I'll tick off the list of all the wonderful things that God has done for me. Um, and so... Um, as I tick off the wonderful things that God has done for me, it builds me up. As I remind myself of Bible stories that we happen to know the end to, I remind myself they didn't know the end when they were in the journey. And yet they trusted God and God met their need and he came through um, gloriously. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John fourteen three, and he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's promising his followers that, yes, I have to leave. I'm going to go, but I am not leaving you. I'm going to prepare for you, and then I'm going to come back and get you. So we have that promise. That's not just for them. That's for us too. And the, the really awesome thing is Jesus is at this time sitting on the throne of God right next to the Father, interceding for us, praying for us. God is praying for us. He is standing in the gap. He is coming against the enemy. He is dispatching angels, angel armies, to do incredible things for us because of his love for us. In uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all of God's promises find their yes of fulfillment in him. And as his yes and our amen ascend to God, we bring him glory. Now, this is the Passion Translation, and so it's a little different than what we normally read. But I loved how this read, because it says, For all God's promises find their yes of fulfillment in him, in Jesus. So every promise of God was fulfilled in Jesus. Okay, so now we've established that. So his yes, and when we say amen, when we agree with God that all of our needs are met in Jesus Christ according to the glorious riches of God, we say amen, and our yes and our, his yes, our amen, join together, ascend to heaven, and bring glory to God. Because it's a powerful testimony of who God is. When we're in the land of the living here, before we go to heaven, we have a glorious testimony that we can show people the faithfulness of God. I've had people say to me, I had someone say to me after Jeff passed, well, wow, you know, you're, you're doing well. And I say, hey, I know where the brother is. And if I tried to bring him back, man, he'd knock me out. <laughs> I know where he is. So I rejoice for him. And I trust God to do what I need here. And he has been faithful to me. So no matter what, God is always faithful. So we can never read too much scripture. 
and I know I'm reading a lot. That's why I gave you the other sheet, because I thought, oh my gosh, we don't need eight pages of me reading scripture. Um, but I found these promises, um, a list online actually, and they show, um, they, they kind of remind us of some of the awesome attributes of God. So I wanted to go through these together. First of all, God's promises never fail. In Joshua 21, 45, it says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. God fulfills every one of his promises. We just have to understand that it's not always on our timeline. God is always good. Psalm 11968, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. So we acknowledge that God is good, and then we read his word to get to know him better. And then that helps reinforce our faith in him as a good God because he teaches us through his word. Reading the word of God is so important, church. It is so important. We should be digging into the word every single day and asking God, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Teach me from your word. And God is always with me. Joshua 1.9, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's that promise for the journey. We're in the midst of the journey and it's not always easy. But he says, I'm with you always and be strong and courageous. How do we do that? Through God. We're strong and courageous. We're not discouraged or afraid because God is with us. And he gives us the ability to walk through the things that we walk through. God is kind and compassionate. In Isaiah 54.10, it says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love and kindness for you will not be shaken. Nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. You know, sometimes we... Um, we struggle with, well, I imagine that you're like me in some ways. I struggle with the fact that I often don't measure up. And then I feel like I've disappointed God. And um, because of that, you know, I'm going to have to reap consequences. And I, the law of sowing and reaping is biblical. But let me tell you a little secret. When I sow bad seeds... I try to repent quickly, and then I ask God for crop failure. <laughs> so there you go, God. I'm believing you for crop failure. I planted some really bad seeds, and I repent for that, and I'm asking you to help a sister out. And he's really good about that. He is really good about that. Thank God, because, man, I can plant some bad seeds. It's like I get so frustrated with myself sometimes. Like, you know, you've been saved a long time. You really ought to have this down. This is kind of Christianity kindergarten here, maybe even preschool. Like, why don't you have that down? I don't know. I just know God's good. Thank God. Uh, and God designed us for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Church, every one of us is called to something. Every one of us is called to the ministry of reconciliation, which means drawing people into God. So through our testimony, through our words, through our life, we demonstrate the love and power of God. And that is something we are called to do. If you're called to other things, which I believe everyone is, ask him.
I've had so many people say, I just don't know. I don't have any talents. I don't have, don't, don't do that. You're a wondrous work of God. Find somewhere that you can serve and love people. Because you know, that's what matters to God. It's people. He died for people. He promised everything to people. He loves people. And so sometimes there are people who are really difficult to love. Well, the way we do that is through the power of God. We ask God. Pastor John shared a story, I don't know, several months ago, maybe even as much as a year ago. And it was a very honest story, and I appreciated it because I related to it a lot. So he was in his truck, and he was getting in his truck in a parking lot, and there was a woman that has come to the church that um, would really like be very needy, like pull on him, approach him after every sermon, and um, then kind of keep him. And, he, and he's like, you know, I can tell you that after you've preached, you're kind of tired and you really just don't want, I don't mind talking, but, I, but she was very clingy. And so he saw her across the parking lot. And his immediate reaction was to try to hide, like, oh, get in my truck. God, don't make me talk to her, please. I want to go home. And so I so relate to that, that it's just so real. And he said he felt convicted, like, don't be that way. Like, be nice. And he's like, I don't want to be nice. And I'm like, I get you, bro. I get you. And so um, he finally looks at her and he waves at her and she waved back. And it, he said her face lit up and it like made her day and she didn't approach him. And so she gets in his, he gets in his truck, he drives away and he's like, Lord, how do you do it? How do you love them? And God said, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And it's like, Lord, help me to see people with your heart through your eyes. God, help me to do that. But I have to admit, I'm really glad that our lead pastor admitted that it's difficult because I struggle with that too. <laughs> I think we all do. But anyway, God loves me deeply no matter what, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, a God that is willing to come and die for us, put himself, allow himself to be so mistreated, so beaten, and so horribly executed, is not going to easily walk away from us. He just loves us too much. And we have to remember that even when we're being brats, okay? Even when we don't want to say hi to her, please, God, I don't, please, I don't. Even when we're doing that, even when we're mad driving down the road, even when someone hurts our feelings and we're having a hard time forgiving, when we are not at our best, he is always at his best. And in our weakness, he is made strong. And so we have to call on him. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. Say, you know what, God? I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. Help me to be more like you. Help me to love like you. Help me to see people like you. God gives me power for my life, 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Another translation says sound mind. 
And so these are things that God gives us. He equips us through the Holy Spirit to walk boldly, to walk with confidence, and to walk in righteousness because we are the very righteousness in Christ. It does not depend on our righteousness. Thank God, because the Bible says it's filthy rags. There's nothing about our righteousness that helps us. But we take on the righteousness of Christ. We are now new creations, and it is not about us. It's about him. All we have to do is surrender and walk in it. God's presence brings joy, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. A day is coming, church. A day is coming. And we are going to be face-to-face with him. In the meantime, we can cling to that with joy and hope. God f- will fill me to overflowing with hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Promise of God. Promise of God. He is a promise keeper. He will strengthen and help me. Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's so many stories in scripture when God says, stop, you let me do this. I'm going to show you the story of Jehoshaphat, the story of Moses holding his arms up and then Aaron and her come along and help him because Israel's fighting, and as long as Moses' arms are raised to the Lord, they're winning. And so there's so many stories in Scripture about God stepping in and doing powerful things. There's so many stories in our world. I remember um, uh, Billy, I can't remember his last name right now, a man of God, and he was in Africa, and there were soldiers coming to arrest them, and they were in a walled area, and the soldiers looked over the wall and did not see them. That was a miracle of God. The soldiers said there's nobody here, and they left. That was a miracle of God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he will do miracles like that for us. We just have to trust him. He'll give you wisdom, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God's promises, uh, he promises you abundant life. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So he is not saying to us that your life is, is going to be all horrible and all bad until you get to heaven. That is, he says abundant life now. He promised that to us. And so even though we do face things, he promised that to us and we can cling to that because he is a promise-keeping God. God has a plan for my life, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. This was something that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah to his people while they were in captivity in Babylon. So there were lots of prophets telling the people of God, ah, we're not going to be here long. Don't, don't get comfortable. We're not going to be here long. But God had a different plan. He said, I'm sorry to tell you, but you are going to be there a while. I want you to build houses. I want you to have families. I want you to grow gardens because you're going to be here a while. And they were. But God was faithful. He was with them. And through all of that time, that's when King Esther raised up. That's when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived. Um, You know, God gave great favor to his people, even though they were in captivity. Sometimes we don't get crop failure. So they were in Babylon because... God let them bear the seeds and the fruit of what they had planted. 
um, and God can be trusted. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. We can cling to this. He made promise to save us, love us, protect us, heal us, never leave us, give us peace, work for our good, come back for us and meet all our needs. He is an awesome God, church. He is an awesome God. And he loves us with an everlasting love, enough to go through what he went through. That's how much he loves you. And so I want to challenge you. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. That last list there on the bottom of the page, there's about three passages for each one. I gave you lots of printed out scripture. The second um, handout is just all kinds of scriptures about the promises of God. But I really want to I really want to encourage you to seek this truth that it will be birthed in your heart, that the truth of this, the seeds will plant in your heart, and then you will bear fruit of it because you trust God. And I can tell you, I've been saved over 40 years, and there are times that I struggle to believe God. So this is not something that, you know, because you've been bad or you're not mature enough or whatever. We all need this. We need to do this on a regular basis. And so I gave you this list. You do it however you want ask God. You read the same, the whole thing every day or read one scripture. But I want you to um, go home, get out your Bible, whether it's electronic or any, by hand, and look up those passages. Spend some time looking up and digging into the Word of God and reading those scriptures and asking God, God, let this live in my heart. I'm asking you to teach this to me. Let me take it to heart and then walk it out in my life as a testimony to bring you glory. And then God says, when, when we are obedient, he gets so much pleasure out of blessing us. He loves it. And so he's for us, church. He loves us. We can trust him to keep his promises. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much once again for opening your word to us, for teaching us, for helping us, for loving us. God, that you would be with us and that we would sense your presence in a new way. You never leave us, God. It's just that sometimes we forget that you're there. And so, um, God, we just ask you to uh, help us to trust you to help us to sense your presence and to acknowledge it and to be obedient to your word. We thank you for going with us and never leaving us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you, your other homework is to find all those 7,000 plus scriptures that are promises. <laughs> Just kidding. But they're there. If you read the word, you'll read them all, even if you don't recognize it. Good night. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.